0: Our scripture reading today is Hosea chapter 8. Please turn there in your Bibles, Hosea chapter 8. I know you found it when you look up at me. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. To me they cry, my God, we, Israel, know you. Israel has spurned the good. The enemy shall pursue him. They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With their silver And gold they made idols for their own destruction. I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel, a craftsman made it. It is not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces, for they sow the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads, it shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. Israel is swallowed up. Already they are among the nations as a useless vessel. For they have gone up to Assyria, a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has hired lovers. Though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up. And the king and princes shall soon shall soon writhe because of the tribute. Because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning, they have become to him altars for sinning. Were I to write for him my laws by the ten thousands, they will be regarded as a strange thing. As for my sacrificial offerings... They sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt. For Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces, and Judah has multiplied fortified cities. So I will send a fire upon his cities, and it shall devour her strongholds. May God give us understanding as we read and preach, reflect and ponder and meditate on his word for the purpose of knowing, appreciating, worshiping God and living for his glory. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you would just purify our hearts, take away those things that would distract us some things that we would just naturally think on, the things of life that may not be good or bad, but just things that occupy our thinking, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to put those aside. Those hardships of life that we must endure, we pray, Lord, that we would come now to hear from you, that we might be encouraged, that we might be built up, that we might understand You, through your word, and that that might change our hearts, might change our lives, might cause us to indeed worship you and live for your glory. Speak your word to us today, Lord. Open our hearts to receive it. Allow me to communicate faithfully your truth. It is not my word. It is yours. And so it is divine. It is infallible. It is gracious. It is good. It is all those things the whole Psalm 119 speaks of, your word. So we pray, Lord, that our hearts be ready to receive it today. And do the work in our hearts that's necessary for us to receive it and necessary for us to live it out so that we would be in obedience to you. We thank you for your grace during the week, the grace that allows us to, to live gives us places to live, food to eat, shelter, and, and clothing. We thank you for all those things. We thank you for the health and strength of your people. We pray for those who are suffering and, and uh, just de- dealing with uh, hardships physically. We pray that you would just be grace to them and, and be with them and, and help them. Help them to remember you and to look to you for help and to honor you even as they go through the hardships that they go through. You pray for our families, our marriages, Lord. You would strengthen that you allow us to be examples and testimonies to each other and allow us to, to live a life of faith, trusting in you in all that we do. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated as the choir comes for a song before God's word preached today. Our series in Hosea continues in chapter 8 this morning, and I've entitled this Israel's Hypocrisy, Israel's <laughs> Hypocrisy. Let's take a look at the background for this chapter, so if you would put a marker, if you have the physical Bible versus electronic, you can put a marker in Hosea 8 and turn back to 2 Kings chapter 17, 2 Kings chapter 17. I'm going to read quite a few verses there, so I want you to follow along. Again, don't get tripped up on the names. I may stumble a bit pronouncing them, but I want you to get the flow of what's happening. Ask yourself the question, what's happening to the nation, Israel, and what is God going to do? Second Kings Chapter Seventeen. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea the son of Elah began to reign in Samaria over Israel, and he reigned nine years. Let me pause here. This is this is common when they look at the history in Kings to talk about both nations, the nation Israel and the nation of Judah, they're split, and to describe one king in reference to the king of the other nation. So it says, in the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, that he looked at the king of Judah in his twelfth year, this king of Israel took over, his name is Hoshea, okay, and he reigned nine years. So let's go on, verse two. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, yet not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, and Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria found treachery in Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to Sul, king of Egypt and offered no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore, the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria invaded all the land and came to Samaria, and for three years he besieged it. I want you to get a sense for what's happening here. It's talking about, this is in the time of Hosea's writing, if you would... Take a look at Hosea chapter 1. You'll see one of the kings that was listed there during this time of his life and his writing uh, is, in fact, this king that we see here, Hoshea, um, uh, Or actually Ahaz of Judah. And uh, Hosea is one who, who reigned during Israel during that time. Now, what's going on here is the king of Israel has an enemy. The nation is Assyria. And they're coming up and they're threatening Israel. It says in verse 3, against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria. And it says in verse 3 that Hoshea, the king of Israel, paid him tribute. What's tribute? <laughs> it can be a tax. It's, it's more, more like just a ransom. The king of Assyria says, hey, dude, you either pay me or we're taking y'all out. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, we'll pay you. That's what he did. He made a, a deal with the king of Assyria. Now, what's wrong with that? You would think that that's just that's king leadership. Uh, what's wrong with that? And, 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 and the references in, 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 um, in Hosea will help us see this. What's wrong with that? is he relied on bargaining instead of relying on the Lord. Let's talk about how smart he thought he was. Look what happens. Verse 3. Against him came Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, and Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute. But the king of Syria found treachery in Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to Saul, king of Egypt, and offered no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Here's what happened. Hoshea king of Israel, figured, hey, I got one enemy over here. I, he ain't doing me no good. I'm going to stop paying him, and I'm going to start paying this guy over here, Egypt. And I'm going to pay Egypt to fight Assyria. And like before, I was paying Assyria to fight Egypt. Now I'm going to pay Egypt to fight Assyria. He's played uh, 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 taking one against the other or, or putting them against each other, and he thinks he's really smart in doing that. If you put one enemy against another enemy to protect you from each other, eventually what happens? They both turn against you. They both turn against you. It's like having two bullies. And you say, Look, dude, I'll pay you if you protect me from this bully. And you go to the other bully and you say, Hey, I'll pay you if you protect me from this bully. You hope they'll beat each other up and get out of your life. That's what he was hoping. That ain't what happens. Let's continue on. He thought he was smart. He didn't need God. He could run his own business. And he had a smart way of doing it. I'm not big enough to fight him. I'll beat him by being smart. That's what he figured. Verse 6. Or let's go to verse 5. Um, the end of verse 4, actually. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria invaded all the land and came to Samaria. By the way, Samaria is the capital city of Israel, of northern, the northern kingdom. See, they had gone away from the southern kingdom um, where Jerusalem should have been their, their, their capital, but Samaria, they had made a new capital. Samaria was the, the capital. So When you hear Samaria, you know what it's talking about. The king of Assyria invaded all the land and came to Samaria, and for three years he besieged it, verse 6. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of, uh, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and on the Habor, the river of Gazan, and in the city of the Medes. I'm going to read now from verse 7 through 18. I just want you to see how the Bible describes what's going on. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt and had feared other gods and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and asherim on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they made offerings on all the high places as the nations did whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. And they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, you should not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. I want you to notice, let's pause here. He gives them warning. How, How does God give warning? Through the prophets. And what do they do? They speak the word of God. They speak, thus saith the Lord, to give warning to God's people. You can see the emphasis here. Look at verse, uh, the middle of verse 13. Turn from your evil ways. Keep my commandments, my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Verse 14. But they would not listen, but were stubborn as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols and became false. And they followed the nations that were around them concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves metal images of two calves. And they made an Asherah and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divination and omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. Go back to Hosea chapter one verse one. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Barry, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Ahaz is the king that's mentioned in Second Kings 17, one. And what okay, came of the kings of Israel? I mean, the kings of the, uh, Israel after him. Now, let's go back to our text in, in Hosea chapter 8. I've entitled this chapter, The Hypocrisy of Israel. The Hypocrisy of Israel. Well, i reflected how can I preach this chapter. I thought, well, let's just take what the word of God gives us as, uh, as, our, as our cue on, on how we and what we should emphasize here. There are three, what I would call, three vivid pictures in this chapter. And that's why I've come to just know, and come to love the Word of God, especially in these minor prophets, because the prophets speak by symbols and pictures, and they help us see what God's anger looks like, what his judgment looks like, even what his grace looks like. There's three pictures, uh, and these three, three pictures are, are about this. The first picture we're going to see is about the announcement of God's judgment. The second picture is a picture of sin, and the third picture is a picture of God's judgment. So the first picture being an announcement of God's judgment. How is that picture? Look at the very first verse of chapter 8 of Hosea. Set the trumpet to your lips. What is the trumpet used for? It was used to announce. It was used to get people's attention, attention to call them so that they could hear the announcement that was about to be said. And then the people would gather and say, what's happening? What's going on? So the trumpet was used as a call. It was a call to arms. It was a call call of warning that there's dangers coming. Whatever it was, it was a a call to announce something. Now, people don't listen to announcements all the time. In our very church, happens all the time, right? What time is that service? How much we got to pay? When we got to be there? Who's supposed to be there when? We don't have Sunday school next Sunday. Service starts at 10 o'clock. Most people need to be here at 9 o'clock to get ready for service. Those who sing. Those are announcements. Sometimes they just, we hear them, and they go in one ear and out the other. The trumpet is to get the attention of the people that announcement is coming. So he says in verse 1, set the trumpet to your lips. Another picture of impending judgment is in the very next phrase. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord one like a vulture is over the house of the Lord. Now, in, in 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 our we we live in an urban environment and we don't often we don't we don't see vultures here, but you know what a vulture is for when you're in the wilderness, when you're in that kind of environment, uh, vultures circle around an animal that is either dead or about to die. Right? And so when you see a crowd of vultures circling, you can look in the horizon, you see, oh boy, something going on there. Maybe the lions just made a kill. And they're waiting, the vultures are waiting for the lions to finish their meal so they can have some. Now see, in, 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 in city life, it's more like this. When you see a circle of flies flying around somewhere, you kind of know what that means. Watch where you step, right? Watch where you're going because that symbolizes something. They're announcing something for those of us who want to pay attention. They're announcing something. Watch out. Watch out over there. The vultures are announcing something. They are announcing an impending judgment. We we, we see this in in, in Revelation 19. They're, 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 They're coming for a great feast. This is... A warning of God's judgment that is coming on the nation. So we have that picture of this announcement that, that God is about to do something. We have a picture of Israel's sin, the cause of the, for this announcement. Because they have done this, God is about to act. A picture of that sin, we have actually three symbols that, that they help us see that. The first is in verse 5 when he says this, I have spurred your calf, O Samaria. And we mentioned that Samaria was the capital of northern, northern, uh, the northern, northern tribe of Israel. And God says, I have spurned your calf. We think about a calf. Well, that's very strong symbolism. In Israel's history, a calf uh, was used for sacrifice. But what what springs to our mind is the golden calf that was set up by an idol by the Israelites when they crossed the the, the Red Sea. And there was uh, 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 Moses... um, who came and saw the people who had made a calf and were bowing down and worshiping it. A golden calf. Well, we saw in our passage in the background in 2 Kings that they had made calves. They had made these idols and they were worshiping it. And God says in verse 5, he spurns that. Look at the very next verse. He says, for it." For it is from Israel, a craftsman made it. It is not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. And so they had set up a a calf. And this, this gives us a visual image of their idolatry and of their sin. They had gone off to worship something else that man had made. And that they were making it to be their God instead of God. God says, I'm going to break it in pieces. It's not God. It's something made by craftsmen. Another picture of their sin is in verse 8. He says, Israel swallowed up. Already they are among the nations as a useless vessel. Here's the picture. A useless vessel. When I think about a useless vessel, I think about going to the junkyard, or oftentimes you'd be driving on a country road and you would see cars that just are sitting in somebody's backyard that are fully abandoned. They look rusty. They look useless. They don't have an engine. The engine might be on the side somewhere else. The, the whole car is taken apart, and it just sits there. But, I, you know, if you knock on the door and talk to that person, hey, man, you want, you want to sell that 54 Chevy? He thinks it's worth something. He's going to borrow it with you for a price. He ain't going to give it away. How long has it been sitting in your backyard? Oh, about 30 years. How much you want to sell it for? Oh, I ain't got a price on it yet. What? You should be glad I just hauled it off and get it out of your yard. It's a useless vessel. That's the picture here. And that's the picture of what happens when sin comes into our lives and devastates us. We think we something. But onlookers say, man, you wouldn't want to be a neighbor to that person. Most people wouldn't. Like when is he going to clean up his yard? Useless vessel. Another picture in verse 9 is a wild donkey wandering alone. (laughs) Verse 9, it says, For they have gone up to Assyria, a wild donkey wandering alone. It gives you the sense that this is something... That is looking for a place to go, but has kind of lost his herd or whatever you call the collection of donkeys that, that would roam the range. He's all alone and he's wandering. He seems to be lost, going nowhere by himself, abandoned, so to speak. It's like that a car that's abandoned in the backyard that's useless. These are pictures of sin. The Bible doesn't paint pleasant pictures of sin. It's much different than what the world paints. The world paints things that, you know, hey, this is the thing to do. You're going you're to love this. This is going to be good for you when you get into to sin. That's how the world advertises sin. We now have a governor who thinks it's to our advantage to have marijuana legalized and you can feel whatever way you want to about it but I ask myself what happened to regular medicine? here's the same person that says that you know he came from the education department to say that we're going to make education better but the first thing we'll do is Give everybody access to marijuana and make things better for them. Sin <laughs> makes you stupid, sin devastates a life. The picture is a wandering donkey alone. It's not a pleasant picture, the Bible does it. But why does the Bible do that? Is it simply to to ridicule and to look down? No, it's to warn. It's to wake us up and say, is that really what you want to be like? Is that the road and the path that you want to stay on? I'm showing you where it leads and that's where you want to go? The third picture, vivid picture, is a picture of God's judgment. It's throughout this chapter. I went verse by verse to look at every phrase in every verse and pick them apart and put them in different categories and say how many verses or phrases or words depict the judgment of God. And that was the overall arching theme of this whole chapter. Let me just give you a feel for it. Um, Look at, well the overall arching category in this chapter actually was sin. And the next one was God's judgment. So you see that it's it's teaching us this, that Israel has sinned and that God will be sure to judge. Look at verse 5. It says, his anger burns. My anger burns against them. Verse 6, it says, the calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. In verse 7, he says, they sow the wind, but they shall reap the whirlwind. That's an interesting phrase. They sow the wind, maybe a gentle breeze, they're going to reap a tornado or a hurricane. He says, this is a sense of sowing and reaping is, is a picture of God's judgment. We sow a little bit, we reap a whole lot. You sow one seed, it's planted, it grows into a full tree that bears fruit on all the branches that has many seeds in every piece of fruit. You sow a little, you reap a whole bunch. It's a picture of God's judgment. It's also a picture of God's grace and the harvest. God's grace takes us in our life and just need a touch of it. <laughs> Jesus said if you had to faith, the side of a mustard seed, that'd be enough. Because of who your faith is in, it is in God. He, he multiplies his grace to us. And so we can be thankful for that. So we, we see these uh, uh, pictures of, of God's judgment. They shall reap the whirlwind. In verse 7 it says, they're standing grain doesn't have any head or any flower. In other words, their, their crops are going to be devastated. They're going to have nothing to eat. He says, even what's left, the strangers would devour it. <laughs> you know, we, we don't quite understand devouring, but uh, put it to you this way. There, a little while ago, there were several stores, several Walmart stores that were going to close in our area and you know what happened when they were gonna close the stores they, they had to get rid of all the merchandise and so everything goes on sale and everything get a reduced price and you you know if you was like me you was at one or two of those trying to see what you could get for a good deal but I went to one or two and I decided not to go back <laughs> you know why it was getting kinda of vicious in there <laughs> folks folks were like hey I'm grabbing this and you better get out my way I mean it, it was it was like uh, our, our joyous Christmas time celebrations of people going shopping and, 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 and trying to get their gifts and their goodies and uh, having no regard for other people around them. But, you know, that, that, that's, that's a, a, a picture of devastation. And, and he says in verse 7 that strangers would devour whatever was left from their fields. He says in verse 8 that Israel will be swallowed up. That's a vivid picture of God's judgment, swallowed up. Um, I I think of, uh, I watch uh, many of the National Geographic and animal shows, and you watch a a, a huge beast or an animal like an alligator or crocodile, you watch how he attacks his prey and tears them apart and swallows them. Not a pleasant thing. In fact, you got to be careful how you let your kids watch some of that. It's it's, it's real violence in the natural world. But that's a picture of what's happening to Israel. They will be swallowed up, he says, in verse 8. We already talked about verse 8 and verse 9, a useless vessel and a wild donkey wandering. In verse 10, he says, their king and their princes will writhe. In other words, they'll be in so much pain. And suffering. So it's a picture there of God's judgment. So we saw three pictures: the one of the announcement of judgment, the one of sin, and the one of judgment itself. In um, and we saw that sowing and the reaping as a part of His judgment. Another part or picture of that judgment is in the last part of verse fourteen. He says, so I will send a fire upon his cities. Fire is a suitable picture of God's judgment. Something that comes that is very destructive, something that is devastating and leaves nothing but rubbish behind. God's judgment is coming to a people who has sinned. Why is he judging them? Take a little closer look at their sin. I saw, I said this chapter is really entitled Their Hypocrisy. And you would think from reading 2 Kings that they had established this, they had established wrong worship and practices and and you would think they had just totally gone away from the Lord and forgotten all that God had told them to do. And they had, in fact, done that. But it's remarkable as to the approach they had to God. I want you to notice a couple things in in verse 2. Well, at the end of verse 1, he says, I'm going to judge them because they have transgressed my covenant. They have rebelled against my law. Look at those two words, transgressed. And rebelled, and look at the other two words: my covenant and my law. There's a picture there that they have they have thought little and disrespected of what God had to say, and they didn't regard themselves as having to be obedient to God at all. But look at verse two; you get a sl- you got a you get a completely different picture there. To me, they cry. They cry. He's talking about people who pray to God. He says, my God, we, Israel, know you. They claim to know the Lord. They claim to be able to pray to God. And hence their hypocrisy. These are people who want to have God as their God for their advantage but don't want to walk according to his law and according to his word. They don't want to walk in obedience to him. Now before we dismiss that on somebody else, we need to be careful and examine ourselves because this is the challenge within all of our hearts. Do I embrace God because I understand who he is but fail to obey him in all that he says? then I am being a hypocrite like the Israelites were. I need to guard myself against that kind of a mindset. The mindset that says, I came to church today, I'm here, I'm okay, God can't be giving me a warning. God can't be calling me to look at my own behavior, my own life, and examine myself to see if I fall in line with him. What was happening with these people is that they had total, total disregard for what God was saying. Notice their attitude. He says, verse 4 They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. In other words, in their practical living, they disregarded God's word. They went about doing things for their own advantage and for their own good, but they did not include God. They did not trust God. They made these kings, these princes, so that they could be a superior nation and they would not have to trust God. makes us remark to them in the end of verse 5, how long will they be incapable of innocence? When I talk about them relying on others besides God, it says in verse 9, they have gone up to Assyria. We talked about 2 Kings chapter 17, is how instead of coming to the Lord and submitting to him and relying on him for their protection, they had gone somewhere else. They had gone up to Assyria, he says. In verse 9, says, Ephraim has hired lovers. Verse 10, though they hire allies among the nations. So what they were doing, just what we saw illustrated in 2 Kings, is that they had hired allies. They had hired those who would befriend them and protect them instead of going to God. Psalms 127, one says, except the Lord build the house. (laughs) Let me read it for you. Psalms 127, verse one. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. More their hypocrisy is displayed in verse thirteen. It says, "As for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it." What he's saying is, they have continued the practices, outside practices of worshiping me, but their heart is far from me. He said, "They sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them." Verse fourteen: Israel has forgotten his Maker. And built palaces. They built places of security. It says, verse, next phrase, and Judah has multiplied fortified cities. They wanted to be secure, but they wanted a security that did not include a dependency on God. Notice God's response in verse 13. It says, yes, they, they sacrificed me to eat it, but the Lord does not accept it. He's not accepting that worship. God sees the heart. He sees through the hypocrisy. He, he sees through the the, uh, the steps we go through the things that are not real with us? When we come into worship, do we truly worship God? Do we set aside our hearts? Are we looking at the words and are those words reflecting what's really in our heart? Are we worshiping God in spirit and in truth as we come together? That's a challenge. I know for myself, I have to challenge myself each time. I can read God's word daily and I have to remind myself, wait a minute, slow down. What did you just read? What is God calling you to do? What is he calling you to think? Of? What is he calling you in your, in your inner heart? What attitude is he challenging you in or about today? And God is challenging the hearts of his people in this way. He says, I will not, excuse me, I will remember their iniquity in verse 13. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sin and they shall return to Egypt. That's an interesting phrase. I brought them out of Egypt, he says, but I'm going to send them back. What he's saying is I'm going to send them back into captivity. Part of the judgment, because they turned from me, where else will they go? When you turn from God, you're turning into trouble. You're turning into a, a life that is going to be absent the power and absent the blessing of God. Mention this in verse 2, they said, "We know you. We know you, Lord." They were confident that they knew the Lord. One of the most difficult things it is now as you talk to people, and you'll probably find this at, at work or in your neighborhood. Uh, is it, to really speak about spiritual things and have a discernment as to whether or not they have a right relationship with God and in fact I find that people don't even want to talk to you about it they, they'll say well I go to church and they don't want you to dig any deeper than that how often do you go to church what do you do when you go to church do you actually worship what kind of church do you go to Do you respect God's word? They they don't want you to dig any further than that. I'm a Christian. What does that mean? Why are you asking me all that? Well, probably because there's a little bit of difference between what you say and how you seem to be living. Your testimony. So he says, these people were crying and said they knew God, but God didn't know them. And they weren't showing it in their lives. Verse 4, the end of verse 4, with their silver and gold, they make idols. They were not worshiping God, even though they claimed to know God and claimed to worship God. As I read through this chapter, then I think about The challenge that God gives to us. That his judgment comes on his people because of their sin. So we're dealt with this thing that God does, in fact, judge sin. The good news is that (coughs) he takes care of the sin of his people by judging their sin in the Savior. And so that we can recognize that, yes, we are sinners and we... We are deserving of God's judgment, but if we would but trust and turn to God, he would place my judgment for my sin on Jesus. And Jesus would fully pay for that sin. Why does God speak so much of his judgment in this chapter? He's speaking so that his people might turn to him. He's speaking so that they would understand the devastation that comes when they turn away from him and come running back to him. God has a heart that wants to see us do right and do good. wants to see us turn to him. And he gives adequate warning to us what happens in our sin. What part of this text speaks of the gospel and speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ? We can see Jesus being compared with the false worship that Israel had and the calf that they had to set up as a false idol, but Jesus is the true Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Why should we settle for a substitute when we have the Lord Jesus Christ who we can turn to and depend on? This also points to Jesus' coming when he brings judgment on those who aren't turning to him and aren't trusting in him. The trumpet sound in verse 1 reminds us of that. The vultures gathering in verse 1 reminds me of that text in Revelation when Jesus comes and After he has executed his judgment on earth, there is a feast for the birds of the air. And that feast is the flesh of men and women. God's judgment is coming and God's judgment is sure, but God's judgment can be averted. God's judgment can be um, diverted from us and put on Christ if we would but trust in him. And if we have trust in him that we should live that way that we should be to uh, live in appreciation for who Christ is and what he has done. I owe him now my life and my service and I give that willingly to him because he is the savior that has paid for my sin. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would appreciate you, appreciate your law, your word that we would not spurn it in our hearts but that we would accept it, we would listen to what you have to say we would have a heart that wants to obey you fully we would see the example the bad example of the people of Israel and that we would see the grace and the love that's in your heart to even warn them so that they can turn from sin before that destruction would come, we would, in fact, turn from our sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. We appoint others to your Savior so that they won't have to be judged as well. The judgment will be in Christ. Pray, Lord, that our lives and our testimony would show our commitment Our appreciation for who you are and our commitment to living a life that's in obedience to you. In Jesus' name we pray.